early on, and even even not too many years going back, you know, we talked about the big house. So certainly in our world economy, there is a certain preference or that or that image of you know what success looks like. So early on, Clark, there was definitely this image of what I thought success will look like, and because we weren't going in that direction, that was hard for a while. I you know I at one point wanted a larger house, and my wife would say, Mark, why? I don't need it. Our three kids are perfectly happy. What will we prove by picking up and moving to a larger house in a larger neighborhood? And I realized she was right. The whole reason that I was thinking about doing that was to demonstrate to, I'll say, quote unquote, others that we had been successful or arrived. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 137. Jace, what's going on, man? How are you? You're great. How are you doing? Good, good. Just took a little bike loop around Central Park and cut off 10 seconds of my time. Not really what I was looking for, but, you know, every little bit counts, I guess. Yeah, did you get on Strava yet? No, I haven't. I don't know that I want people tracking all my exercises. What happens when I don't exercise for a week or two? Oh, you got an accountability partner. You don't like that, huh? <laughs> you, you, you can accept friends or decline friends, so it could just be you and your wife. Or I'll, I'll, I'll cheer you on. I'll give you kudos. All right, all right. I'll look into that. I can get the free version, right? What does that limit me to? Uh, I can't remember, but the the upgrade version is only like 50 bucks a year or something. It's not... It's not too expensive. And you can do running on it as well, right? Yeah. In fact, I like literally have everything tracked on there now. I just have it all uploaded to Strava. Any, any exercise that I do. Yeah. I like that stuff private, except here I am talking to thousands of people on a podcast. So that doesn't really make much sense. But, you know, it is what it is. So we, we were talking a little bit before this about this uh, round of stimulus checks that might be coming this round. I mean, I've been following it as closely, but I came across a, a few articles today on CNBC and a couple other sites and, and decided to read about it because I keep hearing about it and just wanted to see what was passed. So the House passed an act called the HEROES Act, and, and they proposed, which in full transparency here, Senate Republicans can say won't pass. So maybe there'll be some tweaks to it. But their proposal is that each person receives $1,200, similar to the last round of, of stimulus checks. It phases out at $150 for married filing joint. But the difference is instead of $500 per family, each person would re- each kid or dependent would receive $1,200. So up to $3,000. So pretty interesting there. And then another article, according to the Wall Street Journal, it just says President Trump and his advisors want to focus the next stimulus package on boosting the U.S. economy with incentives for workers to find jobs, eat at restaurants and even take vacations. The White House is considering reducing unemployment, reducing, excuse me, unemployment payments to two fifty to three hundred dollars a week, down from six hundred. They think that'll help uh, people go back to work. The White House is also looking at tax breaks for those who take a vacation in the U.S. this year. To encourage spending, Japan is also taking a similar approach to encourage people to travel. So pretty interesting. I mean, what they say there'll probably be a vote in the next month or so. But an interesting thing to follow here over the next couple of weeks that there could be another round of stimulus money. Yeah, I mean, first thoughts is you know I, I made sense on the first round. Second round, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see because you know we all got to pay this back at some point somehow or not. So you know, first thought is what? How's that going to all work? 
too, you know, there's so many issues trying to put a bill together in such a short amount of time, you know, whether it be the PPP money, which you and I both worked closely, closely with, uh, you know, the disaster loans, all sorts of other things in terms of, you know, who got it, who didn't. You know, I know there's several people uh, I've seen on social media that still haven't got their first round of stimulus money. And, you know, those that obviously you can file your tax return and, and you know, I think there's going to be some p- potential to claim it later or get a paper check in the mail. But a lot of, a lot of different things, moving parts and pieces. It'd be interesting to see if one, if it gets passed and then two, how it's administered uh, and at what time frame. I think for the most part, we're starting to kind of open up uh, the economy a little bit more in most states, start that velocity of money again, again, if you will. Uh, and, you know, most people I've talked to have said that they've started picking back up if they were slowed down or, you know, halted with government regulations that they've started to kind of pick back up here in the last week or two if they hadn't already done so. So interesting times for sure. You know, I think we look at the market too. the market fundamentals, you know, kind of scratches your head a little bit with how many people are unemployed right now. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of companies out there that have done super well through this as well and have had record months and record profits. So Yeah, it's it's amazing. I just uh, we're up to I think just north, just over twenty percent unemployment. And I mean it's really amazing and devastating, right? When you think about that number, twenty percent, one in five people yeah. out of a job. I mean it's 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 unbelievable. I mean, horrible. Really really amazing. So and then I, I think I read that 80% of people have been paid their first stimulus check. So there's a lot of people that have not received money. So anyway, just something to look out for. Pretty interesting. I think we'll hear about that in the next month or so about what goes through is, is what I was reading today. So we'll keep you posted on that. Last week, we had an interesting interview with BK. He had a net worth of $3 million, really had some great advice on, on continuing your education, continuing to learn how important self-development has played a part in his story. Most of his, his net worth is invested in retirement accounts. Really a great interview with him. Again, that's last week's episode number 136. Today's episode, we have a great episode with Mark. He has a current net worth of 1.5. He's pretty diversified in the stock market, has about 700000 in his 401k, also has an investment in self-storage. And he just recently wrote a book titled Dad's Little Book of Wisdom, a guide for young professionals to achieve more, earn more, and live a good life that goes on uh, pre-sale today, Amazon. So go ahead and check that out. Mark, we've gotten to know a little bit, and he's a really great guy. So r- really interested to read his book and had a really good interview with him that you'll hear today. Today's sponsor is RIMS. RIMS is a global organization dedicated to the profession of risk management. For nearly 60 years, RIMS has delivered the latest strategies and resources that allow risk professionals to grow, innovate, and succeed in any business. RIMS works with industry leaders to produce content and online training that business professionals turn to. Topics include business continuity, cyber risk, risk management techniques, the fundamentals of insurance, and more. There's also a private members-only site where people can discuss sensitive issues and get honest answers. Members have been leaning on each other as well as we all navigate this global pandemic. If you're concerned about the safety of your employees and the sustainability of your organization, you need the resources and connections RIMS provides. Learn more at go.rims.org slash unveiled. Again, that's go.rims.org slash unveiled, and you can save 25% off of a year-long membership. So we're appreciative to RIMS for sponsoring the episode today. If you're interested in coming on the show, we'd love to share your story. Feel free to reach out to us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at 
gmail.com. Always looking for great new millionaires. Obviously want to highlight everybody from different backgrounds and different viewpoints and, and share everybody's story. So that's kind of the goal of this podcast here. And without any further delay, please help us welcome Mark to the show. Mark, do you want to just give us a little about your background and kind of what you're up to now? Sure, absolutely. So I've only worked for two corporations in my 22-plus year career. The first company I started out with, I worked. I was almost fired three times for poor sales or average sales. Eventually ended up leaving, going to work for a small startup of a large natural gas utility company. Really kind of found myself, was able to be fortunate there with not only developing some of the business, but got promoted, got to be in charge of a large region. Eventually realized that that was not the best fit for me. So back at company number one, I had a good friend of mine who said, hey, Mark, you want to come back and join me? I got permission to start up the team. So was able to go back. I'll share that you know, going back, I was definitely a bit nervous, afraid, and found myself after a little while not having success. But fortunately, was able to get things together and was able to secure $100 million in that first quarter year of sales, which for the Fortune 500 company I was part of, the overall sales we had. So brought a lot of accolades. Again, it was really a story of kind of changing from a lot of growth where I first started to where I got to be and where I'm continually trying to build from. That's awesome. And we're going to get into that story a little bit later. But today, what, what's your net worth? I know we've had some crazy volatility in the market and everything, but where are you sitting? Sure. Yeah. I, when I last looked at it, it was $1.5 And I realized it's probably going to continue to fluctuate. I've always looked on a monthly basis. I've tracked it for the past 18 years on a monthly basis. So I realize when I look at the end of the month, it's going to be less than that. But right now, that's the amount that I have in there. Wow. And, and just out of curiosity, where, I mean, you've got an 18 year history. Where did it start 18 years ago? Yeah, it started. It started when I was, you know, first going out of college, going into the first job. My first boss, I remember very clearly, you know, probably day two, he sat me down with a little yellow, two and a half by one and a half post-it note piece of paper and said, hey, Mark, if you invest 10% of your income for the next 40 years and you grow at a, an average rate, you're going to be a multimillionaire in 40 years. And that really shook me up and it got me started to start investing. And I think it post that same time and listening to like a Susie Orman <laughs> uh, audio program I got from the library. And at the time, she just suggested investing in no-load broad-based index funds recommending Vanguard 500. So really, when I could, I invested in that Vanguard 500 and then for anything inside my company, which was through Fidelity, I likewise looked for the lowest cost rather than a sort of uh, kind of picking winners. And really, that had served me very well for the past 20 years. And what was your net worth 18 years ago when you first started that first statement that you put together? It would have been probably negative 55000 Oh, wow. <laughs> negative because you know, coming out of school, had a lot of student loans. Yeah, totally. So negative 55 to 1.5, 18 years later, what does the 1.5 consist of? How is that broken up? Sure. So I'll break it down into a couple different categories. First of all, you know, kind of broad category in terms of my wife and I have our regular IRAs. I'll say that's just under 900,000. Pension that she had left over when she was working, that was about 35,000. Have Roth IRAs, which are again in the equity markets, which is a little over 100,000. Also did a self-directed Roth IRA, which I'll talk a little about. I learned from you guys, really. learned from your show. I got about 50000 in that. Outside of the retirement account, in terms of equities in the stock market taxable, that's about 100000 For my kids' 529 plan, um, you got three kids, totals about 55000 In real estate, this may seem like a small number, but I got $25,000 in real estate. We can talk about that. 
And then my house is worth about 260. Uh, checking savings cash is just under 50,000. So total assets about 1.6. And when we also have a mortgage for a little over 100,000. Wow. So I'm just trying to add up here. I know you, you sent us a little spreadsheet before. I'm trying to add up exactly how much of the, the 1.5 ish is in the market, the majority of it, right? Because you, I mean, I guess you have some, some equity in your home and then you, you have some in real estate and some in that self-directed Roth, which we know we can get into that later, but we know that's an, a self-storage investment. So of the money, I guess, invested in the market, how is it invested? Is it mutual funds, index funds, bonds? What's just overall roughly, you know, big picture? What's your allocation there? Yeah, so I'll break it into two buckets. So the retirement account, those that are within you know, my employers or has fidelity is who they've chosen. So you really you have to pick through those offerings. So in those, I try to break it into uh, you know large cap, you know, which is S&P 500. Type thing, index fund, which is about C cap equity, which is about 15%. And then I think the fixed income bond is another 10, 15%. And finally, company stock is about 5%. That's inside the retirement piece. Outside anything in terms of the Roth IRAs or, or the taxable account, that has all gone through Vanguard. And 85% of that is in the DTFAX. And then 15% is in the Vanguard S&P 500 index. Gotcha. And it's pretty cool just for our listeners. Uh, Mark sent in kind of his personal balance sheet before the show just so we could review it. And you have all your assets, liabilities um, and, and liabilities. You only have a little credit card bill and a home loan. You say 2.99 percent. And this is something we talk about frequently on the show, but just want to get your take. How come you don't just pay that off? You know, I will tell you, I've gone back and forth, back and forth on that. But ultimately, what I realized is that is an incredibly low interest rate. And it would be better served having the cash, you know, cash on hand or to invest in other, uh, other assets. So right now, as I was looking, I was weighing, you know, what to do with, uh, had a large amount of discretionary uh, cash to men. Um, and we can talk about that. But when I looked at it, did it make sense to pay that off or did it make sense to invest? And I chose to start to diversify some of my investments instead because I'd rather learn at this point, even if I stub my toe, and make some financial mistakes, I have still plenty of time horizon before I really need to depend on that income. So I'm comfortable with having a mortgage that I'm very comfortable paying off the 15-year mortgage to have another 12-plus years or so, 12 years or so to go on it. I feel comfortable with that. I'd rather have the cash invest elsewhere. Yeah, it's an interesting discussion, right, Mark? And it's, and like I mentioned, it's one that, that frequently comes up because that's exactly what a lot of people say. And then a lot of people say, hey, I'd rather just have the peace of mind. And I'm just going to pay it off because I don't want to be thinking about it, right? So to each their own. I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but just something to think about. But it, it is interesting when you start talking to people with net worths of millions of dollars, right? And they have a liability, especially. Dave Ramsey says, get rid of the debt. And then you say, look, I can go beat 2.99%. And it's such a low rate. Why would I pay it off? So just a, an, an interesting conversation. Yeah, I think if I want getting to that point of, let's say, seeing it, feeling of financial independence and not having an income, perhaps would go ahead and pay that off. Uh, kind of lower the overall expenses. But that at this point, we can handle the expenses. And I'd rather have the, again, rather have the cash flow to invest elsewhere. Yeah. So let's let's kind of shift. I want to talk about HSAs, 529s. You kind of got some other interesting things going on, your first real estate deal, your self-directed Roth. But let's just shift away from that and, and dive into your story a little bit about who Mark is. So you mentioned at the beginning of the, of the show in the introduction, and you mentioned briefly to us, you said you're almost, I'm just going to read here what you wrote to us. You said, I was fired almost three times for being an average to below average salesman. 
I left, and seven years later, I was asked to come back. During my first full year back, I secured over $100 million in sales. This was over four times what I sold in my previous 20 years. That earned me Rookie of the Year and a top three place in sales for a global Fortune 500 company. My income went up 10 times when I started my career. This career success happened after I became a millionaire. So as much as you're comfortable sharing here, maybe just tell us what's what's your story in a nutshell? Who, who is who is Mark and how did he become a millionaire and, and how did he get to where he is today? Well, I will say really, Clark, the millionaire story is not an exciting one. It's a plotting long-term piece, which I think a lot of your millionaires probably echo that type of story. So I think the millionaire story is the long-term discipline of continually taking a percentage of your income and saving it, right? It's spending less than you earn and continue to invest the difference and try to grow that as much as possible. That's really been the fundamental building blocks of, let's say, accumulating wealth. What I'll also share is one of the journeys I realized was in terms of income and driving that piece of it, it was around trying to find that right fit. So I was, like many, probably coming out of school, didn't necessarily know what to do or what I wanted to do or what I was good at. And so I took that first job, and I was probably too stubborn to move on. Even though I didn't enjoy it initially, I kept trying to force the issue. I kind of felt like a square pig in a round hole. And I kept going at it, but he was more in a, I'll say, a technical sales. It was a smaller, more transactional uh, environment, and it was not as well suited for what I'm good at. I didn't realize that at the time. But ultimately, after being there you know, for 13 years, again, I was there for a long time, um, it did well enough. But I really wasn't as thrilled about it. My wife said, Mark, I don't care if you go work at the local grocery store. Sometimes you can provide for our family and I can have you stop complaining and go for it. And really what that allowed me was the freedom to explore something else. I had to let go of what I thought was security. And what that led to was initially one step back as I went to another company, had to start over, if you will. But that allowed me to go two steps forward afterwards. And I started seeing that pattern repeat itself throughout the rest of my career, that perceived security to be able to go after something that might have seemed risky, but it was also a lot of opportunity. It was the willingness to bet on yourself. And so that's what I try to continue to do. And from a income perspective, those rewards have been there. It's been one step back in terms of, you know, salary or overall compensation, but then the ability to go out and create a lot more betting on yourself. And again, as you, as you talked about this past year, I was very, very fortunate to uh, land probably one of the company's biggest projects that we had. And as a result, you know, that broke my income to where it's, it's close to about 10 times where it was when I first started my career. Wow. So you alluded to this at the beginning and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. It seems like you're kind of the millionaire next door guy type of, type of person, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody would really know if they don't hear this podcast and know you know, who was involved in that particular piece, they would not be able to identify it. My house is worth about 260000 That's below the average in terms of this general area. So I live on a street where I went and had my taxes done, and my accountant fell over and said, Mark, you've got to have the most income for anybody on in your neighborhood. But that's fine. That's <laughs> we don't need to go anywhere else. We don't need to uh, impress anybody. The only thing that I feel called with some of this, you know, to much... So those much has been given, much is expected. So I do feel like there's now a calling to try to teach or try to share so that others can follow that example. But it's not about us. We don't necessarily need a broadcast that we don't need to buy the big house and not live in or interact in multiple of the rooms, et cetera. So we're pretty happy and pretty comfortable in that regard. 
Yeah, so l- let's talk about that just briefly. I know you you mentioned that at the beginning as well, where you, you feel like you have to give back now, right? Because you've been blessed in a sense. W- where did that come from, and, and what are you trying to do now to give back? Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, there's probably always portions of that. It depends who you are in terms of DNA. I mean, there's certainly a large faith component. And I can talk a little bit about one of the, you know, one of the immediate things that is on my mind is uh, as I look at this, how you live your life, how you instruct and teach your kid, right? And so through the millionaire next door, I'll pick as an example. One thing they talk about is those kids that are given much financial resources, they tend to not depend on themselves as much. And as a result, they can have that financial dependency. And you, in some ways, do them a disservice um, by not letting them you know, kind of grow themselves. So for my three kids, I want them to have some level of financial struggle, you know, some level of college and you know, finding their own way, but you certainly don't want to overbear them. But what I certainly do want to provide them is that that wisdom of how to go about doing it. Uh, perhaps your dad and your mom learned of 20-plus years in the professional world in terms of goal setting and how do you go out and create you know, your desires and make them a reality, right? How do you financially, you know, how do you build up to a millionaire status on your own without mom and dad just giving you a bunch of the money? How can we teach you so you can go do it, right? Give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, teach him for a lifetime. So that's what, you know, Clark still called to try to teach my kids those different categories that I covered, as well as relationships and faith and self-leadership. So kind of putting that out there, and I think as we were talking about before the show started, I've actually written a book that I've drafted so far in the editing office called Dad's Little Book of Wisdom. And my intent is it's a book directed to my kids so that they have those lessons that they can go out and really improve their area of life, take the past 20 years of what I've learned, you know, 400 books that I've read, and kind of distill that down into a really simple piece that they can make practical instruction. And then you know, for my kids, but also, I'd like to share that with others as well, as we can talk about. So that's one category of how I want to kind of share back. And again, another piece might be related to how this large failure came about. And we can talk about that when you're ready to. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's go into it. And then I think how you how you kind of turned it around, right? We talked about you increasing your income. Um, you know, what was it that kind of turned that around and, and drove that change? Sure. Now, I'll start back with what was the turnaround. I think going back to where I came out of that, that 13 years, which was pretty stagnant, right? Pretty stagnant when I moved on to that next company. When I went to go work for a small startup, there really wasn't a lot of other people you could depend on. So you had to get comfortable doing a lot of things. And built my, I built some confidence in myself. I also learned what I was good at and what I was not good at. We had a very small team. And so I learned where I needed help and I could rely on the different team members for. And I think one of the things, Clark, in terms of lessons learned, I think that's really helpful for all your listeners, is to learn what you're good at, okay? And oftentimes we don't realize that. <laughs> and I and I say that because we think everybody is similar to us. We think that everybody thinks the way we do, okay? But that's simply just not true. They, you're better at some things than others. And where you have your greatest success is where you can tap in and take advantage of your strengths more times than not. And surround yourself. You know, I think it's a misnomer to try to shore up your weaknesses. You don't want them to hold you back. But go out and find people that are strong where you're weak and pull together a team. But where you'll have the most success for you the most is where you can live in and perform work that is suited to your strengths. I think that was yeah. one of my biggest takeaways that I learned at that point. 
Yeah, totally agree with you. And when you're saying that, it reminds me, I'm reading the book, I don't know if you've heard about Principles by Ray Dalio, right? He's the founder of the hedge fund uh, Bridgepoint, right? Or Bridgewater, excuse me. And uh, he talks about that big time, right? Is finding your strengths and weaknesses. Everybody has things they're better at. Everything, everybody has things they're worse at. And look, let's just, let's just call it what it is and learn how to fix it and learn how to work together, right? And if you're better at this and I'm better at that, then you should focus on that and I should focus on this. And so working around that strength and, and we probably don't do it enough in life in general, to your credit, to your point, mm-hmm. right, is is finding that. Let me just ask you. Well, Alex should build on Ray Dalio's book, Principles, right? So that's a book that I actually, with my, uh, with my boss, with my dad, with my brother, we've read that book together and we've discussed it, okay? So picking that as an example, and we talked exactly what you're, you're describing, Clark, which is, what are we good at? What do we need? You know, where are others stronger where we might be weak? And so even that concept of having those little book discussions, that part has also been a game changer for me. Finding other people who have different perspectives and learning from their wisdom helped accelerate my own. So as we would read books, we would talk about them together. And so that's something else. As I went through that transition, my boss now, he started out by being a mentor because we were able to team up on a project together, but one of the first things I did with him, literally within, it's pretty crazy as I think about it, but literally within two days of meeting him, I recognized a lot of value in him, and I said, hey, I've read this book. I, I would love to read it with you and discuss. And that actually launched a friendship, uh, mentorship. And again, he's the one recruited me to come back and work with him now. That has turned into something that's been great for all of us by willing to do some of that piece of it. So that was a strength, that knowledge, that understanding, that helped uh, kind of propel us all forward into yeah, I, I want to go back to this millionaire next door thing, right? You mentioned you're that type of guy. You you have maybe the highest income in the neighborhood. You live in a $250,000 house-ish, right, around there. On this journey, right, as you've been saving every year, you kind of said it's just been a process. In a sense, someone might find it a boring story, right? And maybe that's what it is to people on all the millionaire next door type of people, right? We've had many people come on the show and say the same thing, right? Like, oh, there's nothing really interesting about my story, but I, I think it is, right? And I think that's why the show continues to grow and people find it interesting and people connect is because it is interesting to people. But along the way, did you feel ever feel discouraged or like where you weren't making enough progress? Did you ever feel discouraged? And if so, how did you get over that? Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you early on and even, even not too many years going back, I mean, we talked about the big house. So certainly in our world economy, there is a certain preference or that, or that image of, you know, what success looks like. So early on, Clark, there was definitely this image of what I thought success would look like. And because we weren't going in that direction, that was hard for a while. I, you know, I, at one point, wanted a larger house. And my wife would say, Mark, why? I don't need it. Our three kids are perfectly happy. What will we prove by picking up and moving to a larger house in a larger neighborhood? And I realized she was right. The whole reason that I was thinking about doing that was to demonstrate to, I'll say, quote, unquote, others that we had and success where I arrived. And I realized, well, what good would that do? That could ultimately serve as a very large boat anchor around what ultimately we want to do, which might be financial independence and also being able to travel. So why burden ourselves with a much bigger house that we ourselves are not choosing to entertain and having a lot of people in there? So why bother? But that was challenging, was letting go of those preconceived notions of what the world says is successful. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about, right? Like, Typically, most people, when they either 
you know, sell a business or get a raise or whatever else, right? Like it's it's going and expressing that outwardly with either upgrading car or upgrading house or whatever it might be instead of just kind of like you said, hey, do I really need this? And if I don't, you know, what do I do to, you know, maybe satisfy or celebrate or whatever you might, you know, might want to call it. But, you know, Mark, you brought something up earlier about doing a self-directed. Do you mind just kind of telling our listeners what you did and, and why you did that? Yeah, absolutely. So I want to, first of all, give you guys credit because, I, as you know, I jotted down a number of ideas that I've taken, literally learned from Millionaire's Unveiled podcast and then actually implemented in my life. So one of which was you had a former Millionaire's Unveiled guest on the show that I listened to, and he talked about self-directed, well, actually, he talked about self-storage. But when I reached out to him, he explained one of the ways to invest with him would be through a self-directed Roth IRA. So I heard of the concept, did a little bit of research, turned out to be very easy to set up. There's a number of different you know, organizations out there. And what I did was basically transferred about $50,000 from my Roth IRA, which was in the equities market, moved it into a self-directed Roth IRA. And then from there, I was able to move it from it. And so basically that investment now is not subject to fluctuations of the equity market. Now it's a longer term one. And it's only available to the credit investors for that piece of it, at least. Um, but that's a piece of that investment I was looking to do beyond investing all in the stock market. Totally. And you plan to do more of those in the future? I do. I do. In fact, that was one of the real drivers. That, you know, one of the things that's been key to me has been education, ongoing education. I firmly believe that you know, you're either growing or dying. And so the more you can continue to grow, continue to expose yourself, you know, take those risks and you can you can handle, you, you can learn from them. So I did. I, I put in $50,000. Initially, I have another friend of mine who runs a syndications for, you know, multi-unit, but I felt more comfortable initially with this one stepping the self-storage. So I would certainly consider other types of syndications and investing there. This is my way of sticking my toe in the water, learning how syndications work, learning how a longer-term investment works, feeling more comfortable, uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think there's a certain amount that you want to be active as an investor and then also passive. And again, I'd rather learn at this point in my 40s rather than in my 60s when I want to really be benefiting from the passive side and already have gone through whatever learning curves I'm ever wanting to go through. Totally. Do you have any idea how much your, your portfolio has gone down during the, the coronavirus and the, the fluctuations in the market recently? You know, I, I have not. Actually, I'm a big fan of personal capital. However, I've... <laughs> chosen not to be looking at personal capital as it's been dropping, right? So again, I one of the things I think was beneficial for me personally over the years was I didn't have that ability to look. I would only look once a month. So whether it up or down, I would just get my supplies, let's say, monthly. In this environment where it's dropping rapidly, I've chosen not to look because I ultimately know I would not do anything any differently. But I would guess somewhere around 30%, I think, in terms of the equities portion, I think it's probably where it's dropping. I, l- I like that, Mark. You're checking it every day when it's going up and not checking it all when it's going down. That's like <laughs> me. <laughs> I think we're all probably yeah, like that but, to some extent, right? But here's the thing is that I think that uh, I'm a huge fan of Jack Bogle's approach. I think he talked about long-term investment. You know, don't take it in and out. You know, so I just finished reading a book. I think it was Common Sense on Mutual Funds, right? And I can save you guys. It's a great book. If you want all the background. I can save you 400 pages of reading and just say the secret answer is 
long and do it with as minimal fees as possible. That's the secret to success, right? I mean, he goes through a lot of gyrations and he obviously invented Vanguard, basically fit that mold. But the whole goal was don't keep chronic the market. Nobody is very good at it. You could have said, hey, you know what? What if I had done this? Well, what if when you go to put the money back in, you missed that, that jump? Okay. And I got to tell you, one thing in preparation for the show, I went back and looked over my 18 years of cracking the market. I've lost money five of those, five of the, actually 22 years, five to 22 years. So one out of every four or five years, the money has gone down. I've lost money. Okay. But I haven't done anything differently. And I don't say that in a bad way. I'm saying I'm willing to ride out the ups and the downs. And as a, as a very long term piece, the market has continued to grow. If I look at mine, it has been, uh, my Roth IRA, or my IRA rather, has been 8.3% over the past 22 years, not counting 2020, right? The 2019 and 2019, it's gone up by 8.3%. The past 10 years was 11.1%. And, you know, the Vanguard index was, was even a little bit better, was 8.8% in the past 22 years and 13.5% up to the past 10 years. That's my money. That's not what someone's marketing is telling me that uh, things are. Because one of the things that came from the common sense on mutual funds is they're selling their mutual funds, right? They're selling it. They're telling you what the, the returns are before any sort of fee, before any sort of tax implication. So all of those numbers that are being presented to you there are all going to be less than that when you actually, as the investor, realize it. So what I've done is craft mine as an investor. What have I seen my money do just really to give me more confidence to stay what I'm doing <laughs> uh, more than anything else? Totally. That wasn't too long. But that's really no, of, no, I think that's great. And, it, you know, and one of the, the cruxes of the, the show Clark and I wanted to do is just look at millionaires' portfolios and their mindset of what happens in an event like we're going through right now, you know, obviously the, the most recent before now had been 08 and, you know, we're several years removed from that now. So now we're kind of experiencing a little bit of a downturn. Maybe it'll lead to a recession, long-term recession, who knows? And it'll be interesting to see, like you said, hey, does your mindset change? Do I decide to take more money and invest in a self-directed account or not? So appreciate you sharing that. You, earlier, you, you mentioned, too, you got a little bit of 529. One thing that we haven't talked about a lot on the show, but we've had a few questions come in. Have you ever, and I don't know your your kids' ages, this might play into their ages a little bit and whether or not they have income, but why 529 versus maybe doing a Roth if they do have income, or have you ever thought about doing a, a Roth and helping them contribute to that versus kind of contributing to a, a 521 where it's solely for, for higher ed? Yeah, actually, I love the question. So first of all, 529, I've, you know, that's the money we've been putting in over time, right? But my son is now 15 years old. He had a job for the first time this past summer, and you're absolutely right. I had him open up and create a Roth IRA that kicked me and screaming, didn't see the need. I told him he'll thank me later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do believe in <laughs> and, and he IRA, will, <laughs> and it'll be good for him. He will. He'll he'll thank me later. But I understand I'm not going to be getting anything. That's part of the challenge of being a parent making the hard calls for their long term. <laughs> totally. So do you invest the 529? And if so, is that in aggressive mutual funds or stocks or bonds or what's kind of the, the makeup? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Again, I'm a big fan of, I think J.L. Collins has a book, you know, Simple Path of Wealth. I'm a huge believer in that. You know, my son's got 40, 60 years, some, some large amount of time horizon for he really needs that money, right? So it is aggressive in terms of being in the VTFAX, the whole thing is there. Um, so right now, it's going to be taking a hit, no doubt about it. But you really don't need it. And I think 
in terms of advice for investors and the general public, one of the things I think you end up having to take a look at is what is your time horizon for actually needing that money? And I think as you start to get older or start to shift when you're looking to use that money, that's when I would start to adjust my risk, you know, risk tolerance, right? You know, start to take money off or start to put it into longer things that may not have as high of a return. You know, case in point right now, what's going on with the coronavirus and what it's doing with the stock market, that's a huge driver, okay? It's, it's taking huge dips. And for those that are closer to the point where they're going to actually take the money out, this has got to be a much more challenging time. For those people who've got a long horizon, this should not be cause for alarm and concern. This should be an opportunity to say, this is great because I'm going to invest money at a very discounted rate that over the long run, I'm going to be able to buy much, much more and I'm going to be in a much, much better position at the time when I actually do need that money. Yeah, totally. So, Mark, I kind of want to ask you more a question about the future. You've got this great net worth. You built up this great income and you got all the pieces going. Where do you kind of go from here? Do you target net worth, target passive income? What's kind of the future hold for you? Yeah, sure. Simple in terms of some financial targets, you know, using the 4% rule. And again, I'm sure you guys are familiar with your, your, your expenses and multiplying it by 25 to come up with your target. Let's say equity amount of money you would want to have your nest egg with the idea you could pull out 4%. With that guidance, my goal would be about 2.5 million. It's not an astronomical number, um, but that would be what we would target. I think about $100,000 a year. That's sufficient. That's kind of that minimum threshold. In addition to that, you know, getting involved in real estate, I'd like to get a substantial amount of passive income coming from real estate. That's where we're starting to invest there. Um, I think that we're getting to at least at $10,000 a month above and beyond. That would be a target. So those aren't super aggressive, but I think that they are floors and I would probably start to build beyond that as well. Yeah, you're going to blow by that, right? You're at, if you're at 1.5, maybe a million-ish plus in the market right now, right? The market's going to go back up 20% in the next two knows how long, right? Maybe it'll take a few years, but you'll be there. I think you get, we're going to have you back on when you get to three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, the other part of that question is where do you go from here? As we started talking before, it goes beyond financial, right? I mean, once you have enough, I, I, I can see that part, right? I can see where you can start to have enough financially where you're able to take care of needs and we're not there yet, but you know, on the horizon. But I think that that is where you have that call to say, how can I get it back? And that's where, as I was sharing with you before, that's why the last number of months I've actually sat down and wrapped up this book to you know, share with my kids, but also to get out to the marketplace. And that's one of the things that is really something I think is a, is a passion for me. Much being given to me you know, financially in that regard, feel very fortunate. Want to turn around and say, okay, how can I pass on that wisdom? Because that's what I've built on a lot of wisdom of books that I've read from other people, the instruction I've used. That's what's helped me shape my life. You know, the people in your life and the books you read, I think will ultimately help alter the course of your destiny. Yeah. So let's just talk about that real quick. Um, you know, I think it's a, a topic that comes up here a lot, but I think you'd be a good one to ask about it is how do you decide in, in giving, right? How do you decide A, how much to give and then B, who to give? A lot of what you give can be money, but like you just said, a lot of it is knowledge or time, right? So how do you how do you kind of decide those two things? How much to give and who to who to give to? Yeah, so I think in terms of how much to give, I think from a faith perspective, you know, one thing that they talk about is, is tithing ten percent. 
you know, so that has always been in the horizon or the, the background in terms of what my wife and I believe. You know, so that 10%, you know, there's different interpretations. Our interpretation is not all that 10% going straight to our church. Then we have 10% has been, you know, our combination of getting charitable money. And I will also say that you know, my kids go to, you know, Catholic school, right? Um, one of the things that I view is that education is faith-based education. I consider that portion to also be part of that 10%. Um, that allows me to, I'll say in some ways, have the freedom to choose to do that. And we have money over that. Um, and that, you know, as that grows, um, I'll continue to put more and more towards, you know, those charitable, the charities out there. So fortunately, as I was starting to share, in a very, very good uh, year last year, you know, sales took off and that left a large amount of income. And what I ended up looking at was one of the promises I'd made to myself and one of the, the goals, one of the affirmations I put out there was a financial target in terms of income, but it also had a charity contribution. Which was, you know, to be able to do $100,000 over a five-year period. So in order to do that, one thing I ended up doing was this past year opening up a charitable trust. You know, so put a large amount of money at the end of last year into a charitable trust that we are now giving to, you know, my church, giving to other, you know, some of our other faith-based places for things, even for my kids' school, or they're involved in, you know, upper basketball, giving to the charity there. Um, in terms of who and how much, Personally, overall, I'd rather have fewer places and give more substantial impacts than just give a large amount of very, very small denominations. That's that's part of my philosophy and some of that piece. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing it, and I appreciate you opening up about your faith and how it's played an important uh, piece in your journey and to your family, right? I think Jason and I can both say that our faith has for us, and I, I think that's totally fine, right? For for certain people, faith plays a part. For certain people, it might not at all. It doesn't matter, right? Like, I mean, every, it's your story, and and so I think everybody, every story is different, and people find solace and comfort and, and motivation and encouragement in, in all different areas of their lives, right? So I appreciate you just sharing what's important to you. Um, I just want to close here with some some quick rapid fire questions before we get into some last general advice, just overall financially and, and mistakes. So. You mentioned you've read a, a, read a lot of books. Uh, what are the ones that have, have been most beneficial or impactful to you? I'll rapid fire some of these. A number of them are familiar with your, your audience mentioned out, but Think and Grow Rich. I think overall mindset was awesome for that. Millionaire Next Door, again, huge for changing my financial mindset. We talked about common sense on mutual funds, great for this time and phrase. The one thing I think is great for helping you to figure out how to make an impact in the marketplace and really kind of narrow that your focus. And finally, the book I've given out the most and recommended the most, it's called The Go-Giver. And I felt that little book, very easy, 14-chapter book, is fundamental change for how do you go and approach and give in the marketplace. And I've just received an abundance coming back on that one. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, most expensive car that you've ever purchased? I looked it up right for the show. 31000 was a 2007 Honda Odyssey that was still, I think it's about 140000 Okay. Throughout your financial journey or your life journey, rather, what's been worth spending more money on to you? This can be the experiences. Um, you know, my wife and I, we enjoy, or my kids, we enjoy going to see shows. So we've gone to see Broadway shows. Uh, my wife likes seeing concerts, so we'll go see some of the concerts. We make trips to go visit family members. So spending time with the people we like or love <laughs> and just those experiences, that, that's what's worth it. Awesome. Next time you're in New York, we can we can go check out a show together. Um, what's not worth the money on to you? You know, a lot of little things that I would say overall stuff. I mean, after you've accumulated a bunch, then just becomes a lot of stuff, right? 
So, you know, but I've also said cars. I don't, they depreciate. I stopped sitting the need to go and get new cars and, um, lots of little things like that. You know, okay. I'll say the simple thing, going out to the restaurants, sometimes just getting water. I think enjoying the meal. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Do you remember? I was 41. 41. Okay. Have you ever used a financial advisor? Yes. Twice. First time, spent $500. My wife and I were first married to help us get on the same page. That convinced us that we could do it on our own. That was a good investment. And second, my company was offering one, cut them out, and I thought it was a waste of time. Just was costing a lot more than was actually benefiting. Okay. Uh, household spending, annual household spending a year. We're probably in that, I'll say, $9,000 range. Okay. And then as much as you're comfortable sharing here, what's been your, your range of household income through your working life? Uh, started out for salary was about 38000 and now it's, uh, it was over three sixty last. Wow. Good for you, Mark. That's amazing. So, so, lot, oh, and I know you had some debt, right? You had $17,000 in student loan debt. Is that right? 55000 Oh, excuse me. Oh, you saved 17000 on interest by paying off the 55000 early. You know, it was, uh, I'm trying to go back and remember now, but it was uh, probably like four or five years, but it was that back-end interest that we realized that was just costing us a lot. And it was something after reading Millionaire Next Door, realizing, looking at life cycle costs or life costs, that's what it caused us to aggressively choose to pay off that debt faster. Yeah. I'm just going to throw three questions at you, and you can just pick whichever one you kind of want to end on. One that we've been ending on recently is is what does it mean to be happy and, and fulfilled in life, right? And has, has money brought that? if at all, along the way? And then lastly, what mistakes have you made or what general advice would you give to somebody who's who's a younger version of yourself? Yeah, so in terms of the advice, what I'd give, kind of wrote a little bit of a book on it. So happy to kind of provide that to your listeners here as a closing piece, giving them the opportunity in terms of the advice. The one piece that I want to go back and just touch on, I think it would be also helpful if we could, is just that, that $100 million opportunity, that $100 million sale, which was life-changing for me, that happened after about seven months of coming back to my company and really kind of struggling, not finding my way in terms of what I was trying to have happen. This goes back to that faith journey. I remember for me, it was kind of a, a down period. And I had one opportunity in front of me, and it wasn't very attractive, but I was trying to force it and trying to make it happen um, and kind of feeling down. And at that point, I remember literally uh, praying and turning in my car to my empty seat, my passenger seat, and praying and said, all right, Jesus, I'm going to take you as my sales partner. Can you please help guide me on what to do? And really from there, it was just listening, reflecting. And what I realized is I need to let go of that opportunity that I had in front of me. And it was not attractive. I let go of my former employment that was not attractive. And lo and behold, when I actually literally had the conversation with my boss and with a manager about walking away from a project that already fully developed and ready to submit on, and they said, Mark, are you sure? I said, yes, I think we should let go. It was really hard. But at that same lunch, the one manager came back and said, by the way, Mark, since you have time in your hands, there's a VP I think you should talk to. We heard about this opportunity. Probably not going to go anywhere. But since you got time on your hands, why don't you give him a call? Well, that opportunity, through a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of faith, did end up ultimately leading to that $100 million sale, and it changed the course and the direction of your life, help the company, et cetera. So I share that because I think the other part of it is just being open um, open to some guidance. I think it's probably some of the master thing for, uh, for direction programming. Okay, Mark. So just in closing, I know you've written a book here called Dad's Little Book of Wisdom, a guide for young professionals to achieve more, earn more, and live a good life. So tell us a little bit about that book, where people can find it, and how they can hear a little bit more about you. Absolutely. Thanks. Yes. So 
have pretty much distilled the lessons of the past 20 years, including reading 400 books, both the successes and failures, all the things that I'm really looking to kind of pass along and teach my kids once they're going into the professional workplace, but really an opportunity to kind of share, you know, uh, those lessons that'll help launch a career. So in terms of dealing with how you achieve what you desire, set goals and adopt the right mindset, dealing with practical things like sales, relationships, faith, self-leadership. Uh, so really helping in that regard. So in order to get the book, it'll be available on Amazon by the time this is released. So you can certainly go there for pre-order for Amazon or also on the website, www.dadslittlebookofwisdom.com, no apostrophe. You can go on there. You do. We'll also put in there, if you use the code MillionairesU for all your readers, I'll go ahead and do a discounted ebook for anyone that wants to type in that code. Awesome. Thanks. So that's, that's MillionairesU for the discount ebook. Again, his book, Dad's Little Book of Wisdom, a guide for young professionals to achieve more, earn more, and live a good life. So go ahead and check that out. Available on, on Amazon. So thanks, Mark, for coming on. Net worth of $1.5 million. Really appreciate you taking the time and, and inspiring some of these people with, with sharing your story. So thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.